I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. And this really is my burden for us today. This, let me just explain to you a little bit about why I came to choose this psalm. As we were uh, choosing psalms, we're, we're going to complete the end of this calendar year going through uh, psalms. And we, were, we, we basically were free to, to choose whichever ones uh, God brought to us and, and laid on our hearts. And uh, this was the one that I, I chose for this week. And, and really, here's why. I feel like all of us need... I mean, this is true every week when we open the Word of God, but I I think all of us need the message that is contained in this psalm. As I considered what this psalm communicates through the the words and the, the pen of the psalmist David here, I considered who would be here to hear this. Because I know certainly it's true that there are Several of us, maybe many of us here today that we sit here with God's word in our laps. We read it. And yet we, we find ourselves sadly so unimpressed by what we have. We're so unimpressed by who this book reveals to us. We've just become too accustomed to to hearing its truth. Additionally, there probably are some of us that are too impressed with ourselves to be impressed with the God of this Word. Our lives are too much about us and too much about what's going on with us that we lose sight of the one who rules over us. And we need to be put in our place, as it were, and get a view of the one who is truly impressive. And here's a hint, it's not us. We're not the one that's impressive. He is the one that is impressive. As I thought about the young children who are, who are here today, who are just are hearing much of this for the first time. I mean, God has blessed them to be in homes where they are hearing the truths of the Word of God. They're learning these things. And my burden for them is that they would see God for who He is. That they would come to understand the greatness and glory of God. I thought about young people, teenagers. Many of you are seeking to know for yourself what is true. Who is God? What is He like? If you're anything like I was, you're asking the questions, is He truly as He has been taught to me all of these years? Can I really believe this is who God is? No doubt there are some here today that you are a new Christian. You are one who has come to 
Christ, you have come to the Word of God very recently. And you yourself are still learning new things. Whole categories of your thinking have totally changed. Maybe previously you had no concept of of who God was and what He was like. And now you're coming to understand who He is. Maybe there are some here that have known God for many years. Known truths about God for a lifetime. And yet you sit here today tempted to doubt certain things about Him. You're tempted to doubt whether or not He actually loves you. You're tempted to doubt whether or not He has actually forgiven you and wiped your sins away in Christ. Maybe you're tempted to doubt His sovereign control over the world. Maybe you're tempted to doubt His sovereign control over your life. Maybe you're tempted to doubt His justice. And you look out and you see the wicked prospering and the righteous suffering. You're tempted to doubt whether God, if there is any sense of justice in God at all. Maybe we walk in here today questioning why is it we do not pray with any regularity or desperation like we should, calling out to God. One answer, I think, is that we functionally do not believe that God is who he, who he says He is, who He has revealed Himself to be. We don't believe that, functionally, we don't believe that He cares for us. Or He's big enough to meet our needs. Why is it that we feel as though we are all alone when God is always present with us? And ruling in our lives. I think that as as we bring all of these thoughts and burdens and expectations in here today, and we are confronted with the word, I, I believe what we need, what all of us need, whether these are are, are the, the needs we have, the thoughts we're having, or if there's others. What we need, all of us today, is to be reoriented with a heightened view of who God is. We need to consider what the psalmist writes, the psalmist David here. This is actually his last psalm as they go through the Psalter. And he begins this psalm with exuberant praise of God. I will extol you. I will exalt you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. We need this psalm today because there is no end of our needing to to hear that. There is no end of our need to exalt God in our hearts and allow that that exaltation 
that's directed upward to Him to then work itself out through us into the lives of others. To let the praise that, that goes from our lips here to, toward God to then flesh itself out in the rest of our lives through the praise of our life, recognizing the greatness of God and allowing that recognition to change the way that we live. David sums up here in, in verse 3 this, this praise to God with this statement that His greatness is unsearchable. The greatness of God is, is unsearchable. It is so unfathomable that we will never end the search. We will never end trying to grasp all that is entailed in the greatness of God. We will never end our search for the amazing power displayed by God. Because of His infinite greatness, God is supremely worthy of our praise. That's the point of these first three verses. God is supremely worthy of our praise. He's supremely worthy of our praise, not only by our words that we sing to Him and, and quote to Him and the expressions of our heart that we cry out, but He is worthy of the praise that we live out where our lives are a living testimony of what we believe about God. God has created us with an awareness of Him through creation. Psalm 19.1 tells us that the heavens declare the glory of God. Romans 1 tells us that God has revealed Himself through creation, that those that only know God through what they see in creation are, are without excuse when they reject Him. God has, God has made everything for His glory. He has made us to recognize His glory in everything that He has made. And yet there are many that, as Romans 1 describes, instead of worshiping the Creator... They worship the creature. This is why the, the gospel must continue to advance because there are still people that curse God rather than exalt God. There are still people that do not understand that God is worthy of praise. There are still people in this room, even as I began by describing there are many of us that functionally worship the creature rather than the Creator. Yes, we would, we would never deny that God is the Creator. Yet, we exalt everything else other than Him in our lives. We exalt other people over Him. We exalt our, ourselves over Him. We exalt our own thinking over what He has revealed to us. And so the, the gospel must 
advance because those that do not worship God must come to worship Him. And those that that know God, we must be reminded of why we are worshiping Him. We must be reminded of who He is. We must be reminded that God is supremely worthy of our praise. Our worship of God has two primary effects. It's a source of joy for ourselves. God has made us so that when we are worshiping Him for who He is, we are experiencing greater joy through Him. It's also, our worship of God is also a means by which others come to know Him and come to worship Him as well. So the worship of God produces joy in our own hearts. The worship of God in our lives can produce the worship of God for others. The question for us is this. How, how is it that we come to know God more fully? How is it that we come to be drawn to worship Him more fervently? When we are so tempted and prone to do the opposite. I think this psalm provides us some of these answers. So God is supremely worthy of our praise. How is it that we come to praise Him more fully and more fervently? We praise God by proclaiming His greatness. We praise God by proclaiming His greatness. This is the theme of verses 4 through 13 of this psalm. Let me go ahead and read it. You follow along as I read, beginning in verse 4. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works. I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all His words and kind in all His works. And as I read those verses, did you notice the expressions of God's greatness? Did you notice how the psalmist himself acted upon that and calls us to act upon the greatness of God? How does the psalmist describe the greatness of God? What were some of the ways we saw them throughout? He summed up his 
His greatness by speaking of His works, His mighty acts, the splendor of His majesty, His wondrous works, the might of Your awesome deeds, His greatness, the fame of His abundant goodness, and His righteousness. These were the things that the psalmist directs our minds to. The great works of God, the mighty acts of God. The Bible is full of examples of the mighty acts of God. To view God in His greatness, beginning from the very first act of God, the act of create, the, uh, creation, creating everything that exists just with the word of His mouth. Our God truly is great. When we consider the, the creation that He has made, the vastness of, of all that He has made and rules over. I was even reminded of, of the greatness of God. I don't know if you paid any attention to that. Whatever they called it. Some sort of thing that they launched and landed on that comet. The satellite, Rosetta. I thought that was pretty impressive to be able to launch this thing. I think they launched it actually 10 years ago. And they launched this thing to land on this comet as it's hurling through space. What an impressive thing for, for man to be able to achieve. To be able to shoot this thing out into the vastness of God's creation. And then when you're tempted to think that man was so great, it took, I think, a little bit too much of a bounce when it landed, and now it's basically no good. It's in the shadows, its solar battery can't charge, and it's, it's basically done. It's, it's no longer able to accomplish what they wanted it to accomplish. That was a, a, a neat picture of, yes, we're able to do some pretty impressive things. But kind of God's humorous way of reminding us that, yes, our, our ability is, is still limited. We still have very little control over over everything. God is the creator of, of all of this. God is impressive. And my hope is that we would consider for ourselves the mighty acts of God, from creation to the deliverance of His people that we have recorded in Scripture, the establishment of His people into a great nation, an unlikely people He raised up to be a, a great nation. But I want you to notice what David describes as the pinnacle of God's greatness. When we look out at creation and we are impressed with that, and we, we rightly are, we should be, we're impressed with all of God's acts through history of raising up kings and destroying kings and kingdoms. When we see all of that, let's remember the pinnacle of, of God's greatness. you're familiar at all with Hebrew literature, and this is about the extent of which I am familiar with Hebrew literature, you know that often they, they bring things to a climax a little differently than we do. Normally we save the, the big thing till the very end. We build up to it and then give it at the end. In Hebrew literature, the, it's like a pyramid. They, they work up to the pinnacle. I guess this makes sense, right? And then they come down. There's, there's a parallelism in 
Hebrew poetry. And that's what we have in this passage. You notice the middle verses of this section that we just looked at. The middle verses are verses 8 and 9. Let me read those again for us. This is the pinnacle of God's greatness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and His mercy is over all He has made. Does that sound familiar to you? Do you remember that? Hopefully, if you've been here for the last several months, maybe you remember that from Exodus 34. This is, this is what God spoke to Moses when Moses asked God to reveal to him his glory. You remember Moses was on the mountain? And he, told, he asked God, show me your glory. And this was, this was what God told Moses. He revealed himself to be gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. The pinnacle of God's greatness is His covenant steadfastness to His people. Yes, God's acts of creation are impressive. Yes, His acts of working in world history are impressive. But what is most impressive is His covenant faithfulness to His people as demonstrated by His steadfast love, His grace and mercy. This is actually an often quoted refrain in the Old Testament, this statement of God. In the book of Nehemiah, chapter 9, verse 17, it's given in the context of the, the Jewish people, the people of Israel returning from exile. They had been They had been sent into exile by God because of their idolatry. Because they had forsaken God, they had broken the covenant promises. And He did to them what He had promised He would do to them if they disobeyed. He sent them into exile. But then He brought them back. And that's what Nehemiah records. In Nehemiah chapter 9, the priests stood up before the people and basically preached to them a sermon and recorded or rehearsed for them rather this record of their history. How God had called them. He had raised them up. He had built them into a great nation. They had forsaken Him. He had sent them into exile. But then they reminded Him, they reminded the people that God was a God gracious and merciful. Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And because of that, He had brought them back. He had restored them to be a people once again. He had not forgotten His people. He had remained faithful to the people that He had called to be His own. I find it interesting also that Jonah quotes this phrase stated by God in Jonah chapter 2. Actually, I think it's Jonah chapter 4, verse 2. I have it backwards in my notes. Jonah chapter 4. After Jonah had gone to the, the people of Nineveh, preached to them what God had told him to preach, God spares the people of Nineveh, and Jonah complains about it. 
And it's almost humorous to consider. Jonah tells God, I knew. I knew you were a God that was gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. I knew you were going to spare those people. That's why I didn't want to go there in the first place. That's why I ran when you called me to go there. Because I knew you were a, a gracious and merciful God. God is committed to His people. He's committed to His steadfast love, His covenant faithfulness to His people. As we consider the greatness of God demonstrated in our lives, the the pinnacle of that greatness is the working of God in making us one of His covenant people. Let's not forget that. Let's be reminded as we consider the great works of God, the very greatest of all those works is the fact that He has made me one of His children. The fact that He has made you one of His children. And we we praise God by recognizing that reality. But there's more. The psalmist tells us there's more to our praise of God than simply recognizing that reality and understanding and appreciating the greatness of what God has done in saving our souls. But we see through in these verses, not only do we consider the the greatness of God in all of His works and His mighty acts, but did you notice also that the many different expressions used to describe the communication of these events. He speaks of commending God's works to another, declaring, meditating, speaking, pouring forth, singing aloud, telling, making known. These are all expressions used in these verses. This is what we are to do with this knowledge. Yes, we praise God for it, but we also praise God by telling others about God's greatness. So it's clear that God intends for the greatness of His works to be communicated to others. He has worked in us so that we might communicate the greatness of His works to those around us. I want us just to consider a few of these examples, a few of these ways we tell others of of the greatness of His works. Look at verse 4. David writes, one generation shall commend your works to another. Probably the first thing that comes to our mind, and appropriately so, is that we as as fathers, as parents, have an opportunity and, and a responsibility to commend as one generation the works of God to another generation. The generation that God is raising up within our own family. We as, we as one generation within the, within the life of this church, we commend the works of God to another generation coming up after us. Perhaps we're reminded of Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 7, where the people, in the context there, the fathers were commanded to talk of these things to their children 
when they sit down, when they walk by the way, when they lie down, when they rise up. They were to be communicating the truth of God to their children. There are other ways for one generation to commend the works of God to another. Not just within the families, but we have in our church adults, one generation who are serving so faithfully in children's classes, communicating these truths to another generation. I mean, I've been so encouraged as I have a child in one of these classes. They're studying the attributes of God. What a joy it is to work with them through these attributes, to help them understand what, what, is, what does that mean about God? What does that say about God? What does it mean to say that God is almighty? And to study the Word of God, to memorize these verses together. I'm so thankful for those that, that are committed to teaching our children truth about God. Another way this happens in the life of our church is when those who are older in the Lord commend God to those who are younger in the Lord. We have in our, in our body, we have, we have people that have known the Lord for a long time. We have people that have known the Lord for a relatively short time. What a blessing it is for the, those two to, to really learn from each other. But we as, we as people that have known the Lord for a, a long period of time, that, that God has worked these things in us for a longer period of time, we are able to commend those works of God to another. Those that perhaps have not personally experienced the greatness of God for as long, we can, we can assure them that God is faithful. He has been faithful for, to me for X number of years. And I'm confident He will be faithful to you also. We also have available to us centuries worth of writings, including sermons of men, writings of women who have beheld God's greatness over the centuries. And we have access to so many of these testimonies of, of people that have beheld God's glory. And we, we can learn from what they have written. We should not just dismiss old books to the shelf because they're old. We want to look for something new and fresh. Rather, we should, we should look at the testimony of these people that, that knew God also. And God is used to, to serve us by recording their experiences, what they have learned about God, in order that we might benefit. The psalm also talks about meditating on the wondrous works of God. This is simply proclaiming to ourselves the greatness of God. Whereas in one sense, we were to commend God's works to another. By meditating upon His works, we are, in essence, commending God's word to ourselves. We are reminding ourselves of the greatness of God. And his wondrous works. David speaks of singing aloud of his righteousness. We have the opportunity. We, we've already done so today as we have gathered. 
to sing aloud the praise due to His name. All of these are ways that we can worship God, praise God for His greatness by proclaiming it, understanding it and proclaiming it. Not only do we praise God by by proclaiming His greatness, but we praise God by experiencing His goodness. This is a bit of a shift from seeing the working of God on on a grand scale to now understanding and observing the way God works on the personal level. You follow along as I read the rest of the psalm, beginning in verse 14. Notice the goodness of God expressed in these verses. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. So let's recognize what God's goodness looks like by seeing what the psalmist highlights here. We praise God by experiencing these works of God's goodness in our life. He says, The Lord upholds all who are falling, raises up all who are bowed down. The imagery suggests one who is, who is weighed down bowed down, being bent over from the burden that is pressing them down. One who is faltering because of the burdens of life. While it is often true that in our world, it's the weak that are, that are taken advantage of by the strong. But not, not when it comes to the goodness of God. It's in the goodness of God, God who is Himself the epitome of strength, comes to the rescue of those who are weak, those who are weighed down. The God who, whose greatness on one hand is unsearchable, it is unfathomable, yet His goodness is accessible to us. He condescends to lift us up when we are weighed down. And when we are tempted to think that we are too weighed down for God to strengthen, God to lift up, remember His greatness. There, there, there is no way being weighed down that is too weighed down for Him to lift us up. We are never beyond hope from God. He is, he is able to lift us up. He is strong. He is great. And He upholds those who are falling. 
raises up all who are bowed down. It goes on that the eyes of all look to you. You give them their food in due season. The everyday provisions that we often take for granted are gifts from the kind hand of an all-sufficient God. Those daily provisions that we are so accustomed to that we don't even think about anymore are gifts from, from God each day. They're reminders of His goodness and faithfulness to us. And this is where our recognition of God's provisions become praise to Him. Because it's not as though we necessarily receive more than those who do not know God. In fact, oftentimes we receive less than those that do not know God. But we can praise God because we recognize the source of all that comes to us. Many people live assuming that they deserve what they get. In fact, they assume they deserve more than they get. But we recognize that not only have we already received more than we ever deserve, but we receive from God's hand exactly what He knows that we need. And we can can be content with what He has given us because we understand His goodness. We understand His provision. We who know God are able to praise Him by living in a constant awareness of our dependence upon Him. We are able to praise Him by living with thankfulness for that which He blesses us with each day. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. What a beautiful picture. God is not a reluctant giver to us. God is someone that gives to us with an open hand. He is generous. We can affirm and praise the generosity of God. How? By coming to Him. Looking to Him to meet our needs. We don't just praise Him and and affirm His generosity by saying that it's so. We affirm it. We praise Him by actually coming to Him and asking to receive from His hand. And it's like the, the child who tells everyone that his, his father is the most generous person who would give you the shirt off his back. And it would be so illogical and disrespectful to, to never go to his, his own father to ask for anything. What does it say about God when we tell everybody else that He is a generous giver and then we refuse to to seek His help, to seek that which He gives us? And so we praise Him by humbling ourselves before Him to receive from Him that which we need to satisfy our desires. The Lord is righteous in all His ways and kind in all His works. Maybe this is one that is difficult to to reconcile. 
All that God does is in every way both perfectly righteous and graciously kind. Maybe sometimes our lives, or at least our evaluation of our lives, tells us something different. Our own assessment of our experience doesn't always square with the fact that the Lord is righteous in all His ways and kind in all His works. I think this verse hopefully serves as a sort of corrective for us when we're tempted to question why God does something or why God doesn't do something in our life. Again, this isn't in isolation. This is in the context of the goodness of God being demonstrated. The God, God is giving us that which we need, providing for us that which we need. He's satisfying every, the desire of every living thing. He's righteous in all His ways and kind in all His works. That which God is doing in your life is righteous and it's kind. I think perhaps that's why we are called, even in the next phrase, a reminder that the Lord is near to all who call on Him because often we, we need to call on the Lord because we are often desperate. We need our, our, our thinking to be corrected. What an amazing reality that the God who created all things and rules over them in absolute sovereignty, is also near to us when we call on Him. He recognizes that we, we are needy people. And He draws near to us when we call on Him with our need. He understands that we are weighed down and faltering, but He draws near when we call, call upon Him. Even moving to the next verse, he also hears their cry and saves them. God rescues those who are in trouble. Verse 20, the Lord preserves all who call on Him, or all who love Him rather, but all the wicked He will destroy. So our, our call is to Praise God by experiencing His goodness. And so, it's not necessarily that, it might not necessarily be that we can positively affirm all of these truths in our own life right now. We might not feel like God's works or His ways are always righteous. We may not feel like God is always near. But we praise God for His goodness by calling on Him. And the promise from Scripture is that when we do call on Him, even if we don't believe He, he is near, He is near. And He will come and minister to you when we call on Him. That's the great hope of, of these words and the great hope in Scripture. Reminding ourselves of God's covenant faithfulness to us from verses 8 and 9. I'm even mindful of Romans chapter 8. Where God who 
did not even spare his own son, delivered him up for us all, how will he not with him also freely give us all things? The God who has overcome our sin and saved our souls is not going to leave us to falter and stumble in weakness and frailty when we cry out to Him. And I think God in His wise providence often brings us to points where we are weak and faltering so that we will cry out to Him. And by doing that, we are, we are praising Him. We are affirming that He is the one worth calling out to. Perhaps it's that we are so used to calling out to all other sorts of people and things for our help when we're in trouble, for our help when we're in need, that God just wants to bring us to the end of ourselves to recognize that none of that, none of those people and none of those things will ultimately hear our calls. He alone will hear our calls for help. And God, in the wisdom of His works and dealings with us, is graciously bringing us to that point, bringing us to the end of ourselves, to Him alone. I believe it's also significant that we understand that we, we praise God for His goodness, one, by experiencing that in our own lives, but then also exemplifying that as He works through us in the lives of others. That we can be vessels of, of help to others who are weak and faltering. And so I call us today from this psalm to enthusiastically praise God for His greatness. To enthusiastically praise God for His goodness that He has worked in our lives. Why? So that by our praise, those who are struggling to recognize might be made to see His goodness once again. That they might be brought to praise Him themselves. This is the fulfillment, I think, of verse 21. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless His holy name forever and ever. And so we extol You, our God and King. We pray that You would turn our eyes off of ourselves. You turn our eyes off of our weakness to see Your infinite strength, to see Your infinite wisdom, and then praise You by proclaiming the greatness of Your power. And praise You by resting in the kindness and wisdom of Your goodness. Amen.